Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today, thanks to Bruce Damer and Dennis Berry, who is uh, currently responsible for the Timothy Leary archives, and uh, who sent me these recordings, we're going to hear an audio collage from a couple of different programs on which Dr. Leary appeared, as well as hearing from Ramdas about his feelings near the end of their active collaboration in the 60s. First, we're going to hear part of a 1973 radio program from KPFA in Berkeley that was titled, Whatever Happened to Timothy Leary? It begins with an excerpt from an earlier interview with Dr. Leary that was recorded in 1966. Then it jumps up to a live 1973 interview with Ramdas, who gives an interesting appraisal of Leary's character and uh, talks about ending his collaboration with Leary in the 60s. So... Let's time travel back a bit uh, right now and first hear what was on Timothy Leary's mind back in 1966 as he was broadcast on Berkeley's Pacifica station, KPFA, in August of 73. You can be anything this time around. You can be anyone this time around. You can do anything this time around. You can be anyone this time around. Whatever happened to Timothy Leary? In December 1966, shortly after he founded the League for Spiritual Discovery, Dr. Leary was interviewed in Berkeley by Elsa Knight Thompson, who was then KPFA's public affairs director. We hear first excerpts from their conversation. Three months ago, we formed a new religion called League for Spiritual Discovery. Uh, like every other religion, we uh, have our own sacramental methods and our own goals, and uh, we practice the religion in small groups privately. But like other religious groups, we have our public uh, educational and demonstration uh, ceremonies, which we call celebrations. And the private ones are the esoteric side of the situation, uh, yes. I gather. Uh, and the public ones are, uh, as all religions have been, translated for the masses? Uh, or the, not so much the masses as the non-initiated or the non-communicants. This, of course, is the... This may sound strange to uh, uh, Americans, but actually it's the most orthodox uh, form of religion. And indeed, it's not that much different from the way that, for example... Uh, the Catholic Church or the Jewish religion operates. You have your sacramental services, which are reserved to the communicants, and then you present to the public uh, what your aspirations are, and you try to show people what you're discovering. So in the last three months in New York City, every Tuesday night we've been running what we call psychedelic religious celebrations. Thousands of years men have been having what we now call psychedelic experiences, mystics, visionaries, uh, far-out uh, artists and poets. And after you have this experience, uh, you struggle, you hunger to communicate it, uh, mainly, of course, for yourself. It's a way of reminding yourself what it was, but also to communicate to your fellow men. We think that every uh, religious group uh, in its origin uh, struggled to start a new art. And indeed, you can uh, test the validity of any new religion by the art that it creates, uh, because words, after all, 
are a uh, fragile freight for uh, carrying the deepest impulses of man. So like other religions in the past, we have developed our own art form. Rather, it is automatically developed. Psychedelic art is the uh, public face or the communication device of our new religion. Now, what, do, what is psychedelic art? Psychedelic art is uh, multi-energy. Instead of uh, using one uh, form of light or of movie or of uh, slides, we will have uh, uh, up to 26 uh, slide projectors and motion picture cameras or projectors going on one huge cinemascope screen. The screen is undulating with cellular forms and uh, changing patterns, stroboscopic flashes, and swimming in and out of this uh, Niagara of uh, visual uh, uh, material are what we call mythic forms. It's as though your own uh, protein memory banks, your genetic code is being decoded and uh, these millions of file cards that have been uh, um, stored for thousands of years begin to flash. Uh, each week in our celebration we reenact or we renew one of the great ancient religious uh, stories. Uh, we've just finished doing the reincarnation of Jesus Christ and at the present time we're doing the illumination of the Buddha. These great religious figures of the past uh, are men who have been turned on and who have uh, worked out a new metaphor for stating the, uh, uh, the divine plan or the way things are. And we seek to uh, use modern methods, uh, electronic and uh, multimedia, uh, to turn on the audience. The aims and goals of our religion are highly orthodox. We seek to find the divinity within, call that what you will. But it's been well known for thousands of years that man can focus his microscope inside and uh, turn on to uh, energies and revelations which are built into your nervous system and your cells. Your body is an instrument of communication which has been around for two billion years, and it's, there's a lot to learn from it. Now, the, uh, we don't uh, want other people necessarily to use our sacraments, LSD and marijuana. We're not advocating the use of these. And in our celebrations, which we'll be putting on January 27th and 28th here in the Bay Area, there'll be no attempt to uh, urge people to use drugs. We are uh, attempting to get people to turn inside, to look within and to turn on. And we don't care what sacrament people uh, use. Uh, throughout human history, the human race has used the most incredible variety of techniques for turning on. Uh, they've used flagellation and dance. They've used immobility, solitude, noise, uh, some... Uh, meditation. Uh, exactly, meditation, fasting, uh, sacra sacramental foods. The, the interesting thing is that, that man's uh, uh, attempt to turn on just uh, staggers imagination. It's hardly anything that hasn't been used one time or another, in one culture or another, to get this experience. And often the, the most obvious, opposite things have been used. It's well known that overstimulation and noise and crowds is one way of uh, flipping you out of your external mind within. On the other hand, silence and silence. Mobs, in other Mobs, words. yes, or chanting, or you get a large group together and you get a kind of a hypnotic effect. Uh, sexual uh, renunciation is one method. On the other hand, ritual use of sex, where the mates become gods and goddesses for each other, is another. Uh, uh, of course, throughout human history, men have used uh, chemicals, plants, vines, roots. Uh, wine itself was originally a sacramental uh, method of turning people on. So we, we don't care what method people use. Uh, we treasure and uh, glorify any method that can get you high, that is, can uh, turn you on. But uh, we also insist that uh, no one um, uh, tell us we can't use our sacrament uh, if it seems to work for us. Well, now, there are a number of aspects of this that uh, I would like to uh, ask some fairly uh, frank questions about. I have heard it stated, and with some... Uh, 
understanding that some of the people who uh, become involved with the use of LSD, uh, that it becomes a sort of dead end. Uh, in other words, here is an, is an experience which is uh, highly stimulating and uh, extremely uh, exciting in the deepest sense uh -huh. of the word. Uh, and the repetition of that experience, the sort of going off in a corner, as it were, uh, mentally and spiritually, uh, becomes some kind of an end in itself. I've heard it stated that uh, quite a number of creative people, for example, who have gotten into this, uh, no longer um, produce. Now, uh, I'm going to pose uh, a theory, namely that the um, proper use of such uh, awareness uh, is bound up with what you bring back Absolutely. and implement in the society uh, around you and that it uh, as everything can be abused so could these methods of hyper awareness be abused and in fact have been abused because I presume that black magic uh, is exactly uh, <coughs> using the same powers and uh, I have the the uh, idea uh, that uh, no one creates either in their life or in any visual outward sense without submitting themselves to some kind of discipline either their own or some higher discipline to which they are prepared to submit now where along this line does the uh, the creative in, in sense of our society, in sense of the, word, the world that we live in. How do you tie this all in? Well, you've raised several points, and I find myself in complete agreement with each point as I uh, followed uh, what you just said. Uh, number one, the internal experience cannot be the final goal. Of course, monastics and people in my profession, shamans and uh, 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 alchemists and people who have attempted to change consciousness for thousands of years have debated this point. As a matter of fact, in uh, Southeast Asia, there are two schools of Buddhism. Northern Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, says exactly what you've just said. Uh, it's one thing to turn on, but then you've got to uh, come back to society and uh, make it uh, show in your behavior. There's another school of Buddhism, as most of your listeners probably know, Southern Buddhism, which says, no, just stay high all the time. Uh, any, anything is a trap in the way of going back to society. Well, uh, we are, uh, we belong to the school which uh, believes that uh, by your fruits you shall be known. It's inconceivable to us that people could take LSD regularly and not be driven to come back to society and to try to glorify or to uh, express uh, what they have learned. Uh, and what is it that you think they have learned? Well, it's highly individual, obviously. Uh, and, of course, uh, you, you mentioned the misuse of LSD. It's obvious. Uh, every form of energy that man has invented has been misused. I think the auto engine is misused. I think uh, even radio and television is uh, misused by most other stations. Uh, it's too much to ask that our new form of energy, which is pleased by LSD, is going to immediately uh, uh, cause everyone to become an ecstatic and productive saint. Uh, on the other hand... Uh, 
all we can do is say over and over again, every lecture and every performance uh, that we give to the public, that discipline and training and uh, a conscientious attempt to uh, express productively uh, is the uh, inevitable uh, result of your LSD experience. And I think that's one of the tragedies, that many people take LSD and are so entranced and delighted by this internal world that they uh, they just turn off the external world. And uh, this inevitably leads to tragedy because you just can't stir up all this energy and get so many ideas flashing uh, without uh, harnessing it up. And if you don't do that, then you get this endless rumination and you get the so-called LSD freakout where the person is just spinning around in his own mind. Uh, the motto of our religion is turn on, tune in, and drop out. Uh, turn on, of course, means uh, contact these internal possibilities. Tune in means harness it back in works of art, in works of beauty, in works of uh, harmony. Uh, so I couldn't agree with you more uh, when you make these comments about And what's that. the dropout? Well, uh, this is an easily misinterpreted phrase. Uh, by dropout, we uh, mean drop out of meaningless activities. We don't mean drop out of life. We don't mean drop out of the uh, um, really meaningful uh, behaviors. We're convinced, and I think it's wouldn't be hard to uh, to prove my point that uh, most Americans are involved in a meaningless uh, robot uh, assembly line a series of activities. They don't really know what they're doing and why they're doing it, but they they just are pushed onto this uh, assembly line and off they go. Uh, we tell people uh, to drop out. This is the oldest message of visionary prophets, which happens to be my profession. Uh, my my trade union has always come back to society and said, "Look, uh, detach yourself from the uh, immediate tribal." And be very careful uh, how you spend your time and in what sort of activity you uh, uh, dedicate your energies. So by dropout, we don't mean just to sit around and uh, grow a beard and uh, discuss uh, the ultimates in philosophy. We mean uh, drop out of the meaningless and tune in to uh, the um, productive. We live, uh, for example, in a uh, large estate in uh, upper New York. There are 60 of us who have dropped out of American society. We think we have our own country there. In addition to starting our own religion, we started our own country, and we leave our little uh, plot of land. I can say I'm going back to uh, the planet Earth and to the United States, uh, in a, in a friendly message of uh, uh, communication. And uh, w we are trying to develop their pilot study of how man can drop out, how Americans can drop out of the robot aspects of our society and tune back into the more basic human activities which are familial, which are tribal, and which are involved in individual acts of uh, beauty rather than uh, uh, huge mass uh, movements of uh, power and efficiency. I have always suspected that either um, the great uh, religious uh, teachers were completely uh, irrelevant or else what they said was not um, some kind of uh, pious hope, but in fact an observation of fact. Exactly. That's something else that most Americans and Westerners don't realize, that the science of consciousness is just as regular, just as lawful, and just as complicated as the science of energies outside. One of the early mottos of my profession uh, uh, was uh, her hermetic code. It was on the Emerald Tablet of Hermes back in Alexandria. It says, what is without is within. That's simply reminding us that there's no energy transformation that you find outside around you that isn't uh, recorded in protein uh, historical records inside your body. 
uh, I, even now, when it comes to space exploration, as I have taken LSD and hurtled around inside inner space, there are all sorts of un- unidentified flying objects in the metaphorical sense that uh, whiz by your, uh, your uh, projectors. Uh, all of the uh, political and all of the um, uh, scientific problems of the external world uh, have been worked out over and over again by your cells and your tissues, and uh, unless you get into some contact with this, we think that you're uh, kind of a robot just being pushed around and reacting to external forces. In what uh, role uh, and at what level of that role do you visualize yourself, Dr. Larry? Well, I've given a great deal of thought to that. Uh, uh, I think, as I read history, and of course in my profession, which is religious teacher or shaman, you have to look back. We have our tradition, just like the physicist knows about Einstein and Bohr and Newton. Uh, I have studied the earlier adepts in my profession, which is the changing of consciousness. I don't think we're ever going to have any more holy men or any more messiahs, and I hope we're not going to have any more martyrs. You see, a thousand years ago, if someone stumbled on a new method of turning on, maybe it was the Buddha uh, over in India, his, his original method was the sit-down. He sat under that tree and uh, <laughs> stayed there till he the sit-in. Uh, he, he found a method, and he came back, and he taught it. Well, by the time that method and that uh, the name of the Buddha reached the Mediterranean, it was maybe a hundred years, slave galleys and uh, folk singers and... Uh, it's always the young and the lower class and the alienated that carry the message. By the time it got over the Mediterranean, uh, the Buddha was perhaps uh, two or three generations dead. So then you set him up as a, a special person who had a virgin birth or a miraculous death and so forth. That's not true. Uh, he was just a human being struggling to find meaning the way the rest of us are. Now, in, in, the, uh, in the present technological age, you see, <laughs> that's never going to happen. When we announced the formation of our religion in New York uh, three months ago at 10 o'clock in the morning, by uh, 10.10, it was on the news ticker in London, and 10.15, it was on the news ticker in Tokyo, and probably 10.17, it was on the news ticker in Peiping, and they were wondering, oh my, what are they doing over there now? Uh, there's no more room for a mythological, uh, uh, supernatural uh, religious teachers. Uh, I'm simply an American of uh, Irish descent with all of the uh, faults and virtues of my time and culture, struggling for meaning, and we have got a method which works for those people who... Uh, who know how to use it, so that uh, I don't see myself as uh, a historical figure in this old sense. Uh, we're not going to have any of these uh, legendary... Uh, uh, Messiahs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think that uh, religion in the future is going to be much more personal. Uh, every man should start his own religion. That's my advice to young people today. Don't think it was all done 2,000 years ago or 500 years ago. The great challenge of human life is really to found your own religion. That means you personally uh, cast off your tribal mind and come to a real tissue and fleshly grip with these ancient problems. And you hammer out your own ethical code on your tablets of whatever they are. You become your own Copernicus. Uh, you probe these mysteries yourself and come out with your own answers. Now, you're going to come out with pretty much the same answers that Christ and the Buddha uh, came up with because that's the science of it. Uh, there are certain basic truths, but you can't take them uh, in cliché, static form. Nobody can pass on these truths to anyone else, or they're just meaningless formula. You have to uh, have your dark night of the soul. You have to have your LSD flip out. You have to wonder what's real, who am I, and then slowly you're going to have to recapitulate the uh, evolution history of, uh, of the human race yourself.
And that's what the challenge of LSD is. And uh, come out with your own uh, prayers, your own rituals, uh, which work for you and your family and perhaps a few friends. That's the excitement of it. Uh, and uh, we deplore the, uh, the mass conformity of most religions today, which become just like uh, General Motors and NBC television. On March 16, 1970, Dr. Leary was convicted in Orange County, California, of possession of marijuana and was sentenced to six and a half months to ten years in state prison. On Sunday, September 13, 1970, the Associated Press reported that Dr. Leary, whom it described as a well-known advocate of psychedelic drug use, had apparently escaped late the preceding Saturday night from the California men's colony at San Luis Obispo, where he was serving his sentence. Officials at the prison said Dr. Leary was first missed at the midnight bed check, and they added that they did not know how he had escaped. They said that Dr. Leary had been transferred the previous May to San Luis Obispo, which is a minimum security prison, because he was not believed likely to attempt escape, and they described him as a model prisoner. Speaking to you from Lama Drug, a beautiful fishing port outside of Algiers, Algeria. My escape from prison and Rosemary and my escape from the country was engineered, executed, designed, and aesthetically carried off by the noble and beautiful Weatherman Underground. And since we have been in Algeria, we have been under the wise, benign, and loving protection of the Black Panthers led by the genial genius, Eldridge Cleaver. It is true that in the uh, company of Field Marshal D.C. of the Black Panther Party and Jennifer Dorn and Mike Ketter, I embarked on an adventurous trip throughout the Middle East to visit the Palestinian guerrillas. All statements that we were ejected from Arab countries or received hostily are distortions and lies by the wicked pig capitalist bourgeois press. We were received every place with fraternal arms. Live and let live. We say to every human being, black, white, left, right, brother, Sisters, live and let live. Human brothers and sisters, let's live and let live. Dr. Leary's appearance in Algiers and his association with the intercommunal section of the Black Panther Party attracted a great deal of attention from the media and from the public at large at the time. Shortly after Dr. Leary announced that he was in fact in Algiers, Babaram Das, Dr. Richard Alpert, a former associate of Dr. Leary's, was interviewed by editors of the Psychedelic Review, and one of the topics of their conversation was the radicalization of Tim Leary. Can you talk a little bit to us about the radicalization of Timothy Leary? We're doing an article in the next issue on this. <clears throat> what, what do you think were the specific reasons for his departure from previous, uh, previous commitment toward... Uh, 
whole uh, consciousness of nonviolence and spirituality. Mm. What did you say, Dorchester or Roxbury? Dorchester. I'm in Roxbury. And he had the Pacha. Born in Roxbury. Pacha. Okay. Timothy is a extraordinarily high mystic visionary. Uh, Timothy is not a realized being. There is work Timothy yet has to do on himself before all his seeds of attachment are cooked. And thus any statement that comes from Timothy, just like any statement that comes from me, is only as pure as we are at the moment. In some way, it reflects where we're not. Um, from the time of the Boston Laredo, which uh, was not a pure test case, and Timothy was told that, Timothy felt that um, he had to um, carry the standard and, uh, in a way, was perfectly conscious of his legend and it fit in in very much harmony with his whole way of relating to authority and to establishment and to law and uh, and the article that we wrote back in 1961 or two in the Harvard Review, Harvard Review called The Politics of Consciousness, uh, really defines exactly what Timothy saw as the choice. And he said the visionary will be closer to the prison than to the professor's chair because he saw that change involved overthrow. There are other ways in which evolution occurs than overthrow. Um, and in a way, Timothy has been having a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, he, because to be busted once, um, he had the choice then of making a test case or not. He chose to make it. Then being busted again and again and again and again merely shows a total disregard of a system, or at least a definition of himself in a very powerful um, model role, perhaps martyr, perhaps not, but a very strong role. Um, Tim's letter, Tim walking out of jail, felt to me, uh, knowing Timothy, like an exquisitely pure act done beautifully. It was awesome that the sheriff or the whoever runs the prison said when Dr. Leary left, there was no violence and no property destroyed. That he did it so exquisitely. And I think all of us, Allen Ginsberg and Wavy Gravy and all the people that I've talked to that have been doing this merry dance uh, honored Timothy for the high-flying act of just walking out of the prison. He served six months. He asked for parole. It was not granted. And he walked out. Uh, at the same moment, all of us had a feeling of trepidation that have lived with, I uh, know, Timothy, because from then on, his game must be so exquisitely disciplined that any one flaw in the whole thing, and he either ends up dead or in prison for the rest of his life. Because when they get him this time, they throw away a key. It's maximum security. Now, uh, and all of us who know Timothy know that one of the qualities where he isn't really cooked is discipline that his mind is beautiful, but it moves very wide-ranging and rapidly, and he drops and moves and changes and drops. And perhaps what he could have done as a disciplined being was disappear into the woodwork and become somebody else, since he had just published a record 
Douglas Records saying you can be anything this time around, he had the option of becoming somebody else, which could have been done. But in a way... Um, by, excuse me, he, by somebody else, you mean he, uh, while out of prison, he could have assumed a different type... A, cipher, a different identity, identity, and then either built a whole thing on a new identity or been through the underground, released material, and just become a secret word appearing and all the time living in the world as somebody else. That would be the exquisite... That's the dance I think I would do where I was different. Now, in some way... Um, my interpretation of Tim's letter is that Tim wanted to continue to uh, build and influence and work with the dramatic changes that are occurring in this culture. And he, he saw that the major two high-energy fields at the moment, although a third coming up fast on the rail is the spiritual one, mm -hmm. the two major ones thus far are the government and the radical movement. And I think what he attempted to do by that letter was to pay his dues to gain membership into that club, into that mm -hmm. high-energy field. Now, there are two things about the letter that are important. One is that though it advocates violence, when you read it, you do not feel violent. Mm -hmm. And that leads you to an understanding that it is no act in and of itself that is significant. It is the, the who does the act and the consciousness of the person doing the act. And the consciousness of the person reading, reading the letter. But that also is a function of the person writing it, you see. In other words, whether Tim adopts karma for advocating violence is a function of Tim's attachment when he writes the letter. And if Tim isn't attached, the letter doesn't make you violent. It's much mm -hmm. more subtle the way the whole thing works. It's about mm -hmm. vibrations of, of information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Timothy's letter didn't make me feel violent. It, at the same moment, it felt like he was making some kind of a pact with the devil to beat the devil because in the world of polarities, anytime you identify with one polarity, you strengthen the other. Mm -hmm. right. Now, but the added point is that Timothy is not a violent man and he's a very conscious man. And I would like very much to have people like Eldridge Cleaver and Huey Newton and Seal and all these people hanging out with Timothy Leary rather than just with each other mm -hmm. because I would like to have conscious beings involved in each end of the polarity. And in a way, Timothy may be doing more of a service to the West, you know, mm -hmm. in just becoming maybe the uh, the resident poet for mm -hmm. the Black Panthers, mm -hmm. you know, and that the letter may be his dues. I've also noticed the amount of discontent and upset and confusion that that letter's created. And I appreciate that very much because mm -hmm. that kind of confusion is good, healthy work on individuals because they had Timothy in one bag and Eldridge Cleaver in another bag and, he, and they're forced now to deal with a Malcolm X phenomenon of mm -hmm. a really beautiful being who is still saying very radical things. Mm -hmm. They are forced to it and also, as you say, uh, Eldridge Cleaver and the socialist countries that he'll be visiting would be exposed to, to Timothy Leary now, and it'd be very interesting. Exactly. Now, Timothy uh, may get caught in spinning out in the scene, and he's doing a very funny dance now. I mean, this latest thing with Lebanon and Palestine, and nobody wants him, and Algiers doesn't want him back. And oh, is that true? That's the latest I heard from his son yesterday. Uh -huh. And it may well be that he's... Uh, He's, you know, he's not, he never defends his back on these things, you see. That's the exquisite part of a high dancer like Timothy. Mm -hmm. But they often burn up like, uh, you know, what are those shooting stars, you know. They burn up going across the heavens. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you know, there's there's um, Wilhelm Reich, and there's Ezra Pound, you know, and there's mm-hmm. lots of <laughs> there's lo- there are lots of beings around as models of what happens, you know, of how fierce the whole trip is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just read Eldridge Cleaver's conversations with Eldridge Cleaver in Algiers, and it's no picnic. You know, I think shit trip is no picnic. I would imagine that people do discover that here, even despite certain repression, is still one of the freest places in the world. Well, um, I, I could. I had a long talk with Tim's son yesterday, who talks about the pigs and the tremendous anger towards yeah. everybody. The same moment he owns Tim's house, right? I said, "Well, then you certainly don't mind if I come and take your house away." Says, well, I'm not a pig. I said, well, how do you know you're not a pig? You own a house, don't you? Aren't you a landowner or property owner mm-hmm. in Brooklyn? And it's a very clear, it's such a delicate thing about the the amount of energy that's available in the society and how we only use old models and we have mm-hmm. more energy. It's just the sun cutting the balls off daddy, that's all. Mm-hmm. And when he gets in the position, then he runs the ship, just like he becomes the new daddy. Mm-hmm. And there are very few radicals that I would like to serve under in terms of having them form my government because there aren't wise men at either pole at the moment. Mm-hmm. But you said before something about a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy to, to uh, Timothy Leary's uh, life. But uh, his lawyer, uh, one of the lawyers, Joe Ryan, kept emphasizing how... how uh, bugged he had become in the past few years with this legal hassling and that that uh, this was one of the the uh, main reasons why why uh, he had least reached this type of decision that that it was not something he was trying to bring on himself and his lawyer said that this last uh, last incident in orange county the uh, evidence was planted by the police well, um, that well may be, and I think that a part of what's happened is a, uh, it's a combination of, you see, I, the history I'm working out of is I remember being called into the chairman of the department's office at Harvard and them saying to me, look, you're a close friend of Tim's. We love him very much. We know he's a great intellect, but man, he's completely screwing up the system. And if you don't control him, we're going to have to get rid of him because we can't handle him because he's too disruptive of all the structure of the games. It's as if all structure at all was too much for Timothy. I mean, I lived with years of bounce checks. You know, I mean, that has, there's nothing to do with that. That bounce, you don't have to be against the bank system. You know, I mean, when you write checks you don't have money for, I mean, that to me doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel vibrationally right. I don't care, you know, I don't think that's economically radicalism. That's just, uh, you know, like that's not being willing well, to play any games at all. Well, poorly organized. But, but and I feel in a way that, that um, Timothy was hassled tremendously. There's no doubt about it. And Timothy is right in the sense that that what the... The guarantees in this country guarantee freedom and the right to happiness and privacy. And he is very obvious in his reiteration of Thomas Jefferson, really, the Mm -hmm. Jeffersonian ideal, how much has been lost in the shuffle. And he had an exquisite possibility of doing a very high dance in his running for governor in California. 
in a whole reiterating the Thomas Jefferson thing. What happened to that? Well, he got he got into so much legal hassle, he got put in prison, and then uh, he he couldn't do it. James Curley ran for mayor. Of course, we know James Curley well. And in a way, Tim, that's what I mean about lack of discipline. You see, because Timothy's power didn't necessarily have to do with the way he was living. I mean, there were very few people coming through the gates of the ranch or the places that were getting busted. That was just Timothy's own kind of looseness of living because he was going to live it. His life was going to be a model. And that is something that he kept losing his degree. He kept losing the cards in his hand every bust he'd get. This is what I'm I'm trying to get clear in my mind from talking with you now about this and and the way that you speak of it... uh, on, on, a, on a, a level of, of uh, as if you were absent-mindedly uh, getting into all of this trouble and fulfilling this self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, uh, rather than I, I. It seems that something about about well, man. When I'm Timothy Leary, I don't cross into Mexico carrying pot. That to me is sloppy. I mean, I'm a game player. I was an LSD smuggler for years, man, and I know how to play exquisite games, and Timothy's game is sloppy. If Timothy is playing... Well, but aren't the the games of prophets always sloppy? They're always getting killed, aren't they? Not necessarily. Only the ones that get killed get killed. They're the ones that you remember. Well, you you remember the killing. Right. You don't have to turn the tables over in the temple unless that's your trip. You happen to be the table turner over, and that's who Timothy is. See, before Timothy took any drugs at all at West Point, see, Timothy spent like nine months where nobody at West Point would talk to him and he would talk to nobody because he had broken one of the rules and he wouldn't leave. And he demanded an apology, a public apology in the dining hall before he'd leave. And after nine months of all beat the system, they publicly apologized and the next day he left. He was teaching there? Or no, or he was a student. He was a student Point. at West Point. Yes, I never knew that. And uh, he went over the wall for a chick or a bottle or something one night, and he had broken the code of the, of the academy. Look, I don't want to spend all our time on Timothy. I wanted really to, to get to you. Uh, and let's just say one more thing. I mean, at the other end of the coin is that Timothy's life is becoming a very powerful statement about those freedoms, you know. And... To the extent that it is pure, it will serve to help us check back into our baseline. To the extent that it isn't pure, that it was an ego act of Tim's, it won't. Because mm-hmm. that's the way communication works. Communications come through as high as the beings who communicate. There's a whole other level at which the game is played. Independent. And so that all of the, as I go around the country, all the hundreds and hundreds of people that have come up and said, hey, where's Timothy Leary at? Mm-hmm. And when I say, well, why do you ask? They say, well, and he writes this beautiful stuff, but there's something about him. Well, that is true. There is something about him. And everybody that's ever lived with him has said the same thing. There are places in Tim where he doesn't work on himself. And whether he can't or he doesn't or what, but this is the way it is. All of his wives, his children, mm-hmm. me, I mean, all of us have shared that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I've had many acid trips with him. And I've been inside his head really deep. It's overlapping spheres for you. Right, but this is your own, your own uh, in a sense, radicalization uh, from that previous... Uh, 
uh, stage of your life where you you mm -hmm. and, and Timothy uh, broke the ground for the whole cultural revolution and well in all fairness let's point out very clearly that Timothy broke the ground I was a student I was a co-faculty member mm -hmm. and I did I took care of the kitchen the children the relations with the administration and the bank statements mm -hmm. right and the neighbors and the garbage and the mm -hmm. dogs and the whole thing of it that Jewish mothers do mm -hmm. But man, his was the vision. His was the consciousness. And I was like, I rode his coattails through the whole psychedelic thing. The Tibetan Book of the Dead was his book. Mm -hmm. He just put my name on because I cleaned the kitchen well. I mean, that's really been our role. In fact, I, I defined in 1961, I said, too, I thought to myself, I've never met a great man before, and this is one of them, and it is enough for my life merely to serve such a being. Mm -hmm. and I'm perfectly happy to just do it. And for two years I kept doing that until suddenly I saw that there was a destructive quality in Tim's game. Mm -hmm. And that no matter how beautiful it got, it kept being converted into some horror all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I kept feeling, he kept saying, that's the way it's got to be. And in my heart it didn't feel like that's the way it had to be. We didn't have to have police and bill collectors and lawyers and mm -hmm. the whole thing and all this chaos all the time. Chaos, you know. And... Uh, so at that point we split apart and once we had split my life just started to flow out and for about six or eight months I was in traumatic shock really mm -hmm. feeling well I'll just get I was working as a computer programmer mm -hmm. right and I thought I'll just do my gig and maybe I'll become a show for something and I just mind my own business and because I've had enough of the trip you know okay I did it and then I suddenly started to see that I had a consciousness too, you know. I mean, that was the first time that I ever started to redefine what my role was to be. We say to every human being, black, white, left, right, brother, sisters, live and let live. And that is exactly the way this tape ended. Ramdas was uh, kind of cut off in mid-thought, I thought, and... Uh, then the haunting voice of the ghost of Timothy Leary came in. Now, this tape isn't one that has been uploaded to the Internet Archive yet, and we may find the rest of this program if it exists uh, at some later date. I did come across a partial recording that Eldridge Cleaver made after uh, Leary escaped from his so-called protective custody in Algeria and uh, was on the run in Afghanistan, where the Americans eventually captured him and returned him to prison. Those were pretty wild times indeed, and uh, I'll post that recording with the uh, program notes for this podcast for you to download should you want to hear it, and uh, that website you can find via psychedelicsalon.org. Also, I should mention that the other day, Timothy's son, Zach, told me that Ramdas had asked him for some CDs of Terrence McKenna's lectures and that he was burning some copies of old Salon podcasts of Terrence's work. So on the outside chance that you ever hear this podcast, Ramdas, I hope that you know that you still have hundreds of thousands of fans around the world and that your work is still very much relevant. But even more, we want you to know how much you're loved and appreciated just for being you and uh, what a wonderful you you are. So now uh, let's flash forward about 20 years to 1986 after uh, all of that mountain of potential troubles facing Leary had been chipped away, and uh, Timothy Leary was riding high once again, pun intended. You know, uh, it still seems remarkable to me, but he always seemed to rise again after every adversity, and uh, 
always with his sense of humor intact, which may have been his most beguiling feature. So now let's jump into the middle of this 1986 appearance by Timothy Leary on the Larry King radio program, just to get a sense of who he had become as he began the last decade of his life. You were for a time very villainous in this country, I guess. The LSD situation and people would be angry about Timothy Leary. How yes, were, they still were, are, by the way. How, yeah, but it's tempered somewhat. How are you? In fact, I guess there's young people who wouldn't even know your name, right? Hey, that's uh, the truth, right? How did you react to all of that attention? Well, you remember, just to give a brief historical recap, from the years 1960 to 1963 at Harvard University, we assembled a really brilliant crew of philosophers and psychologists and, and uh, divinity students and divinity professors uh, studying the effects of of psychedelic plants, basically mushrooms and peyote and then the, the chemical forms of them. And we felt that this is a wonderful tool to expand consciousness and uh, if used thoughtfully would help you get different perspectives. And we, we were very, very, very enthusiastic about it. And uh, some of the older professors took me aside and said, listen, you're going to get into a lot of trouble because number one, uh, a lot of people don't want to have consciousness expanded. Uh, number two, um, uh, the very word drug. We didn't call them drugs. They were they were neurotransmitters or they were um, uh, psychedelic activators. But the word drug carries a tremendous traffic and freight of uh, fear. Uh, so it was a great shock to me when uh, I suddenly, suddenly discovered I was unpopular and being set up as uh, someone who was going to bring down the... the all the all the things you were doing were under the auspices of the university, though? For the first uh, three years. And then and we got, they were, then they we were got thrown out. approved? Oh, yeah. And you were thrown out? Uh-huh. For? Well, uh, basically because that kind of research shouldn't be done at a, at a university. It's, it's avant-garde research. And because undergraduates beginning to use it, we were not giving it to undergraduates, and it started circling out... A lot of a lot of parents complained because their their kids were calling up and saying, "Guess what, mom and dad? I've just uh, had a wonderful revelation. I'm going to leave now and go to India, or I'm going to, now going to change my life." And uh, the kid, you know, parents. I can, you know, I was very sympathetic to the authorities. They didn't send their kids to Harvard to become young Buddhists or become rock stars. You became kind of the guru of this. I don't like the word guru. As a good Irishman, you know, I, I don't like that Is idea. LSD, a thing of the past now. I was on a show today in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, it's Tuesday, isn't it? And a man named Martin Lee, who's just written a book on LSD, was there. And he said that government statistics say there's as much LSD being used today as there was in the 60s. The, the eye of the media sees leaving LSD alone. Now you got crack and you got Nicaragua. Now you got uh, Ayatollah Khomeini so that the... Uh, the, the uh, it's not in this week. Is the out. Mm -hmm. What have you been doing for 23 years? What have I been doing? Uh -huh. If I'm a, this I'm, is your first honest job, what have you been doing? I'm a free agent. Uh, I've... Uh, now uh, I'm drafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what have you been doing, though? I write books, uh, give lectures. Um, for about five of those years, I had my rent paid by the United States uh, prison What did you serve time for? Uh, possession of uh, two roaches, which uh, somehow appeared in my ashtray of my car, which I didn't know about. Uh, and you did five years for that? Uh, Why? Why so long? They were pretty mad at me. Uh, for? Well, for uh, saying what was on my mind and 
talking about consciousness and drugs, and it was you remember the 60s? It was pretty... Uh, Pretty, uh, you had a period there. I guess the worst thing that happened to you was the people. There were some people who committed suicide with LSD, right? The Art Link letter, daughter case, and the like. Well, she actually didn't kill her. She, she hadn't taken LSD for six months. Uh, but, but yes, there, there's no question that uh, people uh, got tremendously confused and hurt themselves and killed themselves during that period. How many? We don't know. How should the society use the psychedelic equipment it has at hand? Ideally, how should the society use LSD? I testified in 1963 uh, before Teddy Kennedy's committee answering that same question. And I said that uh, psychedelic drugs, which include marijuana, should be totally uh, um, supervised by the state. That is, quality should be established. Uh, and you should have to be trained in how to use them, and uh, they should be prescribed. And if you screwed up, uh, they take your license away. Uh, if you'd have to demonstrate you knew how to, to use it, like an automobile. Or that sounds very tame today. Does it? No. Yeah. Yeah. How does the mind expansion, what did mind expansion do to better people? You mean the, the mind expansion you, of the 60s? Yeah. Well, see, the interesting thing is, uh, Larry, that the whole culture is LSD. For example, uh, in the late 60s, we were running these psychedelic light shows in which we were trying to express the color and wonder of the turned-on brain. And uh, these light shows were then taken over by rock, uh, rock musicians and... Suddenly, movie makers were coming to our shows, and then suddenly Kubrick was making these special effects, and suddenly, uh, I, I remember when Squirt, uh, the drink, said, turn on to flavor, tune in to bubbles, and turn off the cola habit. I'm um, using this as an example. Uh, then advertising, uh, multiple images, simultaneity. Uh, oh, we understand all that. What does it do for us? Uh, it has given us, uh, I think, America today... American consciousness is much more sophisticated. Uh, the average kid today can handle seven, eight, nine programs, uh, sounds, uh, ideas. It has, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the brain, we're told, has a uh, hundred billion neurons. Uh, each neuron is the knowledge, information, capacity of a of an Apple computer. You got a hundred billion. I sound like Carl Sagan here. A hundred billion. Uh, Apple computers in your brain. Uh, we're not even starting to use our brain unless you can sum up program. And uh, now the brain operates very quickly and flashing. And uh, uh, there would there would not have been a a I would say ninety percent of the of the uh, kids that are under the age of forty who are in computers now. Ninety percent of them have had some kind of experience in brain change or uh, neurotransmission. Uh, that's why. Um, I may be misunderstood or, or not liked among certain segments of the of the uh, country, but computer people really understand where I'm coming from, and they welcome me. And uh, uh, you'd have been a hero if they were popular in the '60s, right? You'd have, you'd have done it another way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Now, do you think time will will uh, change our attitude towards you? I think history will perceive you differently than it perceived you in the it 60s. It depends who writes the history. Uh, we all know that the history is rewritten by the conquerors. And 
it depends who uh, wins this particular chapter of evolution they're working on. If the if the forces that are running America now continue, the the Christian right wing and the the uh, fundamentalists and the militarists and so forth, I will be known as some eccentric footnote. Uh, <coughs> a horrible. You, you think the Christian right wing is running the country? Uh. I said, if they do, they certainly are moving into more power. Uh, they're certainly on the upswing. And the, the superstition and the lack of clear, clear thinking that, that, uh, that characterized American society is a shock to me when I think in five years how, how uh, you know, clear thinking to me seems to... Why do you uh, dislike uh, corporations, structure, organizations? I feel there's a law of bureaucracy. There's a law of social organization that inevitably the social organization protects itself. And uh, we all know any bureaucracy is in business mainly to perpetuate itself and keep itself going. No matter how wonderful the bureaucracy is to start with, whether it's a Christian church or whether, and I'm sorry to say, many of our democratic institutions uh, fall into this trap. Eventually, the bureaucracy to please the boss, to cover yourself, to... Uh, uh, I went to West Point. I was trained. I uh, went to Jesuit schools. I've been at Harvard University. I was five years in the Army. I've been in prisons for five years. I've seen bureaucracies in and out. I, I know how they operate. And we all know that uh, you join the team, and the main function of the team is keep it going. Bureaucracies tend to limit individual initiative, uh, creativity, and above all, change. The, bureau the, the bureaucrat wants to keep the ship from, um, you, know, uh, um, you know, losing course. <laughs> Let's go to some calls with Linda's first questions as we go for Dr. Leary, New York City. Hello. Hello, Dr. Leary. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. That's good. I was wondering if you had tried ecstasy and uh, what you thought of it and also how you would or if you would compare it to LSD. Yeah, of course, I'm not anxious to talk about drugs a lot, but I know I have to because that's the turf that I've, uh, I've charted out. I have taken ecstasy. What is ecstasy? I mean, I know what it is, but I don't know it as a drug. Um, I don't want to pose and as I know a, it as a lifestyle. Yeah, uh, I don't want to pose as a pharmacologist here. XTC is called MDMA, and it's a it's the drug that uh, became popular oh, two or three years ago. It was legal then. It's a drug which apparently in most people creates a sense of deep empathy. The difference between this and uh, hallucinogens like LSD is that uh, there's no uh, alteration of reality. It's a very clear clear thinking experience uh, it was made illegal about six months ago and they're still fighting that case did you enjoy its usage well uh, uh, my wife barbara and i uh, came to new york about eight years ago and someone's see in my position i i get offered the gourmet uh, psychopharmaceuticals that come along and a, a doctor that i knew uh, said tim try this uh, and Barbara and I tried it, and we were married uh, three days later. And um, uh, uh, you still married? We're still married. Yep. Plug for ecstasy. Washington D.C. Hello. Good morning, uh, Doctor Leary. The last time I talked to you was in 1967 at the League for Spiritual Discovery. Hey, that goes back, doesn't it? Yeah, I was uh, 36 years old at the time. I'd been doing psychedelics for three years, and my love affair with marijuana continued until December of 1984. When I walked into a detention center in Maryland, and there was my son, pale as a ghost, with cigarette burns on his arms. Oh, boy. In general, had uh, pretty well wrecked himself. I'll, I'll say now that he's got 18 months of sobriety since then. That's good. But, What's the question? Uh, the question is, do you agree that um, 
PCP and cocaine have been central to the particularly hellish effect that drug use has had on young people in recent years. Yeah, you know, I don't know anything about PCP, and I don't know anything about cocaine, my, my especially back then, you know, 26 years ago, where they're relatively gentle uh, psychedelics. So, yes, I think that, uh, uh, and of course, the problem is that these black market drugs, you don't know what PC is, it's made by some jerk in a garage. Uh, the cocaine, you know, apparently this stuff is being boiled up with bicarbonate of soda. You don't know what it is. It's well, just... you always did, you not, favored its use, whatever use, under controlled conditions. Yeah, you should use any drug. I mean, does this cocaine thing uh, worry you? You mean the crack thing? Yeah, the crack apparent uh, epidemic of it in this country. Well, <laughs> let's face it. The major dangerous drug in this country to, uh, to which a uh, hundred times more people are addicted than all the other drugs put together is alcohol. And if the government wants to do something or if moralists want to do something about addiction, lives being ruined, crimes, why not hit alcohol? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I think, obvious, and I think... Uh, Austin, Texas, for Dr. Timothy Leary. Hello. Uh, hi, Larry. Hi. Greetings from Austin, Tim. Hey, I love Austin. Thanks. I understand that the citizens of Austin this November will vote on whether to legalize the growing of marijuana for personal use. Since Ronald Reagan for years has been promising to get government off people's backs, I was wondering if you, if you had any thoughts as to why the, pre the president hasn't spoken out in favor of this initiative. Uh, Mr. William Buckley has, by the way. Yeah. Uh, a, a large number of, of conservative doctors, lawyers, and columnists like Bill Buckley have, including Louis Nicer, just right. recently, mm -hmm. uh, say we should legalize and get real government control of it. Yeah, I'd vote for that uh, re referendum in... Is it going to pass? Gosh, tell us in Austin. Do you think it'll pass, pass sir? Uh, if people are thinking clearly, I believe it will. Well, that's, that the begs the quote. No, what, what, will, they, will it pass? I think it will. Austin is, is of course, the, yeah, pretty progressive. It's the most enlightened uh, town, perhaps, in the South. Minneapolis. Hello. Hi, Larry. Hi. Uh, Mr. Larry, is it true in the book that you once wrote in 1980 that you liked the philosophers Gurdjieff and Aleister Crowley? It sure is. They taught me a great deal. It's too bad they were born 1,500 years too early. Okay, they, thank you. Thank they're, you. They're both great psychologists. We go to Cape May, New Jersey, with Dr. Timothy Leary. Hello. Dr. Leary, I'd like to thank you for just being you all these years. Well, we're trying our best, and uh, it's going to get better. We need people like you around, especially with the swing to the right this country's taking. Well, we, we, listen, we have just begun. We haven't even... You know, we'll stick around. We're just getting our act together. Uh, two quick questions. Do you ever see Richard Alpert anymore? Uh, yes, I see him quite regularly. He's at uh, the present time living near Boston with his father. He's very happy. He's very influential. He's doing fine. Uh, and the other question is, um, and it's been years since I've done any psychedelics, I would like to know, uh, you said they altered reality. Uh, uh, do they? I mean, what, what the things that I saw and the things that I experienced, um, was that an alteration of reality? Or Why, sure, there are, there are hundreds of levels of reality in your brain. Your brain can calibrate probably thousands of levels of reality we haven't tuned into yet. We haven't even begun our exploration of, of the realms and mysteries and wonders of the human brain. Yeah, they're, they're all different. I'm not saying one is a real reality. They're all real. Uh, uh, in your own life, you know, that when you go to sleep is a different reality. When you're dreaming, when you're making love, when you're... I, I need to say no more. 
Thank you. You can make love with this machine, too, huh? Yeah. Mine, Mira. <laughs> well, I... Take the survey to bed. It's a Woody Allen kind of thing. I could see this as a gag in a movie. <laughs> right. He and the called... girl take the, take the machine to bed, the leery thing. It's called Mind Foreplay. What would you do now? Well, plug it in. San Jose, California. Hello. Hi, Larry. Mr. Larry. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, uh, compared to the people who were running the Vietnam War in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, I thought you were a moral giant, especially in the academic world. On a scale of 1 to 10, um, I think you'd be a 1 in terms of your uh, drug stance, but I think the people running the war would be a point zero zero one. And I just wanted to say, uh, do you think your role now is a, kind of a media court jester along with uh, G. Gordon Lilly, uh, Liddy, excuse me? Well, Gordon and I did our debate, and I hope we entertained people. I hope we provoked provided some thoughts. Uh, I might say, by the way, there's nothing wrong with being, uh, making people laugh in a very provocative way. Socrates did it, Lenny Bruce did it, Mort Saul did it. Matter of fact, some of the great philosophers of all time were those people that, uh... Mark Twain was Oh, how about, he's my favorite. Larry? Yeah. Uh, first-time caller, long-term listener. Hi. want to ask Dr. O'Leary what he feels about the efficacy of uh, LSD in, uh psychological development uh, under in therapy basically yeah, how effective is it? When it was legal to do this, uh, many reports said it was extremely effective, but unfortunately no such research has been done in the last 15, 20 years. What does your gut think? Yeah, if used correctly, I think it can be uh, very helpful. For a psychiatrist, psychologist, and a patient? Yep. Okay, we go to South Boston, Massachusetts. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, I would like to ask Dr. I wouldn't even give him that much, Mr. O'Leary, whatever. How does it count for the lives that were ruined by his LSD in Boston College? I personally know two girls that were twins, and this goes back a few years, that he ruined by his experimentation uh, given out in class. All right, doctor. Well, I don't know how they were ruined. Uh, I'd like to have them... How were they ruined? Yeah, I'd like to hear them say this. I've heard many people... Hospital. What? I don't, I don't think they're still out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd like to see you. Well, let's put it this way, for, for the lady's sake. Were you playing a semi-dangerous game in areas where we still have things to learn, and in all progress, there were people who, who took uh, experimental drugs before they discovered a cure for polio. Somebody took that live vaccine and maybe got polio. Were there people harmed by your experiments? I think no question there were. But not by my experiments, by, by uh, use of LSD, um, in probably street LSD, yes, uh, no question of it. But no one you know of in your own. And uh, uh, I feel very, very sorry that anyone had one moment of suffering or uh, of confusion. On the other hand, uh, i got to put it to you very bluntly. Uh, my role in society is a role of explorer. Jackson, Mississippi. Hello. Uh, yes, sir. Dr. Leary, I'm a history major and a lawyer from Mississippi, and I want to tell you that the Moody Blues are wrong. You're not dead. <laughs> I called it 1030 Central, and if I miss this point, I want to apologize. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy, I believe, was one of the FBI agents that busted you in upper state New York. And if that is correct, sir, how do you feel on the fact that uh, June 17th of 1986 <clears throat> would be the 15th anniversary of the Watergate break-in in which... Mr. Liddy, of course, participated, and I'll hang up and listen. Thank, Thank you. you. Today is the anniversary. Well, That's correct. Wonderful. You know, I take a bit of credit of that because 
Liddy kept busting me and busting me and busting me, but he never caught me with anything. He caught me with, I told you, peed moss. But he did drive me out of the county because it was just too much. I has to have Gordon like Inspector Clouseau with his mustache in my bedroom night after night. So I moved out to California. Gordon was a hero in the county. He said, my gosh, let's promote him to the White House. So they sent Gordon off to the White House where he then started other midnight burglaries, which are even more far out. And between the two of us, Gordon and I, like the Keystone Cops, we brought down the Nixon administration. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gordon will confirm uh, the, the basic bra facts that he won't uh, enjoy my uh, glee over this wonderful feat which we pulled out. Okanis, Michigan. Hello. Hello, Dr. Leary. Hello. Hello. Is it true that Marilyn Monroe or Jack Kennedy came to you for advice on using LSD? No, that's not true. It's a wonderful rumor, but it's not true. Austin, Texas. Hello. Hello, this is Boston. Oh, Boston. I'm sorry. Hello, Larry. Uh, Timothy is a person who was uh, politely asked not to complete the EST uh, training because he just didn't fit in. I think I speak with some free spiritual... Uh, qualification. You mean you got booted out of Est? Yes, I did. Well, you naughty boy. <laughs> indeed, it was a naughty problem, indeed. Uh, Sounds like losing your library card. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it was traumatic, Larry. It really was. Yeah. Um, Timothy, I, I, don't, I don't want to engage the, uh, the sort of psychedelic mythological Larry or the, uh, even right now, the spiritual, philosophical, intellectual, or, or even computer Larry. You want, don't want the electronic uh, Larry? No, no, I don't want the electronic Larry. And what Larry do you want? I just want to be present with you right at this moment, uh, mm-hmm. Timothy, to tell you that um, I like you and, and that the possibilities in that are an open book. And I think that I, I sense that you have always had the ability to be astoundingly, astonishingly present with whatever's going on around you. And, and that's a clue, perhaps, to the resiliency of your, of your vision and, and your fortitude in yourself. And this is been a real privilege. Well, I'm going to send you a message. Open up your, your eardrums. I want your near eardrums naked. I'm going to send you a wonderful, wonderful word of thank you very much. That was a wonderful call. Fresno, California for Dr. Timothy Leary. Hello. Yes, I have two questions. One, with the modern electronics such as micro oscillators that can be implanted under the skin of the head and with brain entrainment and modern drugs, does Mr. Leary think that the people now can be programmed and controlled? Well, I'm sure Fair that question. there are a lot of people in, in, in big uh, government buildings around the world that are thinking thoughts of how wonderful it would be to do that. My life is dedicated to uh, arming ourselves with intelligence and courage so we won't let that happen. For example, I... I can take any drug in the world and they won't be able to phase me because I'm not afraid of any drug because uh, I can deal with it. And most of the fears of addiction and drugs, even what they are, is a craven cowardice. What's all this stuff about America being afraid of a little piece of crack cocaine? Come on, we can lick those things. It's the American way. And uh, we're being scared by all this propaganda. I agree with you that uh, there are these problems, uh, but uh, we've the, the only defense against totalitarianism has always been, Jefferson said it too, constant vigilance and on the part of the individual. There ain't no one that can protect us against Big Brother, Big Sister, except ourselves, linked up as free agents. Sausalito, California. Hello. Hello, Dr. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, Sausalito's in early here. Good for you. Yeah, I really enjoy your enthusiasm. Um, I have a question for you. I've heard that um, 
a spiritual argument against the use of drugs in that um, it results in that you, you have multidimensional experiences through the use of drugs, but the argument is that you have no control with your own will and that the experience itself is unrepeatable. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a comment on that? Oh, that's a heavy, heavy theological question. I, I'm, you'd have to have the Pope and the College of Cardinals. To, a lot of people think that the more pleasure you have and the more spiritual pleasure they have, you're, you're draining your, your ecstasy account or your spiritual account. Well, or your, the, I, don't, I don't really believe that. I think that more is better as long as it's intelligent and used for good purposes. So, uh, but that's the end of my theological rap. Spokane, Washington. Hello. Yeah, considering your fascination in the mind, what are your personal experiences and opinions of Eastern religious practices such as Zen Buddhism? Well, I went to India. I think everyone should take a trip over this. almost obligatory. I took uh, Hinduism 1A on the banks of the Ganges when I was a young man. I learned everything that I thought I could learn. I treasure the things I learned there. you got to keep moving. There's no final answer. Hinduism, by the way, would agree with that. So go over there. Try it all. Uh, don't get hooked. Uh, don't follow leaders. Watch your park media. Stay away from gurus. But try it all out. With Dr. Timothy Leary, San Francisco. Hello. Next question is, uh, I'd like to have your comments on the tremendous construction program underway here in California to uh, build more prison facilities. And I'll take my answer on the air. All right. Yeah, well, she, uh, I don't think building prisons is the answer to the crime problem, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not in favor of it. Middletown, New York. Hello. Hi, Larry. Hi. Uh, a couple of questions, Dr. Leary, quick on uh, Ram Dass, uh, Richard Albert. Uh, his books have meant a lot to me. I heard that you uh, once made a comment that uh, when asked about Ram Dass, that people who get into spiritualism only do so if they have a sexual hang-up. I'd like to hear a comment on that. I didn't say that. I don't believe it. What do you think about what Ram Dass is doing these days with the Death and Dying Project and all this stuff? What do you think about where his head is at these days? Yeah, I think I've already mentioned this program. I think it's wonderful. I think he's a great inspiration. There are millions of people out there that have been influenced in the right direction by him. More power to him. He's my partner in time, and I'm all on his side. And if he's listening tonight, uh, he, he knows already what I'm going to say, that we're good friends. A couple of moments left, Dr. Larry. Uh, any, you regret anything you've done? Well... You know, I, I operate from a standpoint of, of, of team play and sports. I have, uh, I struck out perhaps as much as anyone in the league. On the other hand, I've hit more home runs, or I'm right up there. I've made a lot of mistakes. But the basic trajectory of my life, I think, no matter whether you agree with me or not, you have to agree with it, is to, uh, to free yourself, to think for yourself, to question authority. And I've done that, and I've made mistakes along the line. Uh, a lot of people have misunderstood me. I've let a lot of people down because I've changed perhaps too quickly. Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, but I don't regret uh, the direction and the goal. It's the American way. It's the human way to try to think better. Do you miss Harvard? Not a bit. I was up there last uh, week and I wandered around there. And You know, I never wanted to be at Harvard. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, number one, I'm not an institution. You know, some people say, gee, Tim, if you had played your cards right, you'd be a full-tenured retired Harvard professor now. On your... And I say, yeah, no, no kidding. Well, thanks a lot, but no thanks. Uh, <laughs> anything about the institutions you like? 
I, I'm not against institutions. I've been in them all, uh, from left to right. I love institutions. They're, they're intelligence tests. Institutions are prisons that you have to escape from. And uh, the uh, society has to have groups. They have to have organizations. I believe in teams and in clubs. Uh, the only thing is don't get trapped in them. The most addictive, dangerous, mind-screwing thing in the world is a, is, is a conformity to, a, to an organization. Love the organization. Get the best out of it and move on to a new one. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Didn't you love it just now when the good Dr. Leary said that institutions are intelligence tests that you have to escape from? <laughs> and I agree. I think uh, institutions are wonderful, but only for people who need to be institutionalized. And uh, for what it's worth, no matter what our families may say about you and I, uh, I most definitely think we are not the kind of people who belong in an institution, whether it be a funny farm, a corporation, or a highly structured and domineering church. So be careful out there, because every day there's another institution that's trying to subdue your spirit. Of course, uh, you and I know that they are never going to succeed, so don't give up the good struggle and press on. Now, I guess I should also mention that I edited some material out of the Larry King interview that we just heard, but it was only the parts about the, the software company that Tim was working on uh, at the time, and uh, most of that part of the conversation is no longer very relevant today. Also, I hope that you noticed the caller from Austin, Texas, who was talking about the then-current hope to legalize cannabis in Texas. Of course, uh, that measure was also never passed. Uh, not that I'm against any and all efforts to legalize this wonderful plant, but as you can tell, the legalization battles have been going on for a very long time. So I wouldn't pin my hopes on it happening anytime soon. Uh, in other words, be nice to your neighborhood grower. Now, before I get out of here today, there are uh, a couple of other announcements I want to make. And first of all, I truly appreciate receiving messages from you, but I hope that you don't take my lack of a response as an insult, because the truth is I just can't keep up with the correspondence and still do the research I'm trying to do to uh, finish the book I'm working on. And in the past couple of weeks, I've received uh, several requests uh, to publicize Kickstart uh, projects for various artistic endeavors all of which are worthy of our support. Uh, also, as you no doubt know, there is an effort underway to raise money to help Sasha Shulgin with his mounting medical bills. And to tell the truth, I'm not sure how to handle all of these requests. For one, I'll be sending a part of the donations we received last month and this month to the Shulgin cause, and I'll post a link to their donation page with the program notes for this podcast. As for uh, the kickstart requests, I'm still not sure how to do this simply because of the time involved in uh, researching and then publicizing the dozens of requests that we receive each year. What would be great is if uh, one of our fellow saloners set up a website where other saloners could post their kickstart requests and that we could all link to. Then I could uh, mention the new listings from time to time without uh, bogging me down in another administrative task. I do it myself, but in fairness... Uh, I should first read and respond to the over 200 emails that are still waiting for me on Facebook. So uh, if you sent me a message uh, that requires a reply, please don't give up on me. Uh, I'll eventually get there. Also, uh, I've been receiving links to some really great music, and uh, I'll try to remember to add two of those links to this week's program notes. Those being a uh, really hot rock group, Axis Monday, who I think are based in the U.K., 
and uh, they produce some really cool videos that you can see at YouTube. Also, my dear friends Kadoma and Kevin have some new music out that uh, was recorded at a recent live gathering that uh, I really wished I'd been able to make, but uh, now at least we have some music from them to enjoy the party vicariously, and I'll link to that site as well. Also, uh, lately I've been receiving quite a few requests to include essays and other items from our fellow saloners in these podcasts, but I simply don't have the time to uh, read through a half a dozen essays every week and select some to read in the podcast, so if the salon was my only project, I certainly would begin doing something like that, but I still have many other demands on my time, and so I can't devote that much time to the salon. However, uh, I think that Bruce Damer has come up with an interesting idea that will at least give you an opportunity to add your ideas to the discussions here. What Bruce is doing is uh, he's taking a Terrence McKenna talk and interspersing his own comments after uh, several of uh, Terrence's more uh, profound utterances. And in essence, he's uh, going to bring these great workshops back to life. At least that's the attempt. And uh, if this is successful, then the next step will be for you and our other fellow saloners to do the same thing. Play something from a McKenna talk that you maybe disagree with, and then uh, add your own comments after it, giving the reasons for challenging Terrence on a particular point. Of course, it doesn't always have to be a disagreement with him that you have. It could also be an enlargement of uh, some topic he didn't cover to your satisfaction. So uh, if you sometimes are frustrated that you can't add to a particular workshop's conversation, this may be a chance for you to have your opinions heard as well. In a week or two, I hope to have more information about this in a demo program for you to hear, so stay tuned, or I should say stay subscribed. Finally, I've received several requests to find another way to make donations to the salon other than uh, through PayPal due to PayPal's cutting off WikiLeaks from their donation stream. And I just checked uh, to see what WikiLeaks is doing, and they have a number of alternate methods for making donations. And I'll be looking into how they are doing that to uh, see if it's practical for us to use as well. And if you happen to know of a quick and easy way I can uh, implement a non-PayPal donation route, I would very much appreciate hearing about it. And as you know, you can reach me via email through lorenzo at matrixmasters.com. But if you send me an email, be sure to put something in the subject line that will catch my attention. Something uh, like Psychedelic Salon, for example. Because if you use a funky subject line, I may never see it. Each morning uh, when I download email, there are hundreds of messages that come in, so the only way to handle it is to search on the subject line for the word psychedelic or salon. Uh, those messages I do read right away. Otherwise, uh, unless something happens to catch my eye as I scroll through the messages, I might miss your email. And please don't think that I'm complaining now. <laughs> it's actually just really wonderful to get all that email, and I try to feel not too guilty about uh, not being able to keep up with it all. Oh, and uh, one last thing. Uh, should you be at the Sunday session of the MAPS conference in L.A. this weekend, that's the 10th, 11th, and 12th of December, 2010, uh, be sure to come up and say hello. I'll uh, be the MC for the talks that day, and so I'll be somewhere around the stage during the breaks. I'm not going to be able to make it for the Saturday sessions, but if you're there on Sunday, I would truly enjoy meeting you. Well, that'll do it for now, and so I'll close today's podcast again by reminding you that this and most of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are freely available for you to use in your own audio projects under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. And if you have any questions about that, just click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, 
which you can find at psychedelicsalon.org. And uh, if you're interested in the philosophy behind the salon or some of the stories about how it came about, uh, you can hear all about it in my novel, The Genesis Generation, which is available as a pay-what-you-can audiobook that you can download at genesisgeneration.us. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. 